Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm so happy to welcome a great performer, a great singer, a great actor, a, a, a great comedian, one of the most gifted Saturday Night Live performers, a, the woman who you know from being Martha Stewart, NPR, Sweaty Balls, a woman who has starred in sitcoms from ABC Suburgatory to TBS's very underrated People of Earth, and of course the film Mean Girls, a performer who is a musical powerhouse on Broadway, touring, and recorded music, including her album, I'm Hip, which has the greatest ever version of one mint and julep. And I will say oh. that at Ray Charles's grave. But now, now in NBC's sitcom American Auto, Anna Gasteyer's character of Catherine Hastings, the former pharma executive who becomes the CEO of Payne Automotive and is charged with leading the company in a new direction, is back for its second season. And in the show, Catherine is dealing with the glass ceiling, defective autos, challenges to her authority, misogynistic employees, and the fact that she's CEO of an industry she knows nothing about and can't even drive. It is a hilarious and very satirical workplace comedy from Justin Spitzer, the showrunner of Superstore. It is a great pleasure to welcome one of the stars of the Soup Nazi episode of Seinfeld back of the show, <laughs> Anna Gasteiner. It's so good to see you. Congratulations on season two. Oh my God, that was the best encapsulation of our show I've heard yet. I wish I'd heard it early on because I've been trying to explain for two straight days and, and all these press outlets what my show's about. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <clears throat> great when you show up, they're like, so explain this show for us, please. Do, do my work for me. Can yeah, pretty much everybody does that. So <laughs> I've got my talking points, but yours were better. Oh, hey, thank you very much. They don't give this job to chimps. No, um, no congratulations. And, and congratulations on the character, because I love you so much in this role. It is such a smart look at modern American corporate work environments totally. and the conglomerates run all of our lives. I'm very curious. What does it take at this point for you to want to do a role? Mm, good question. I mean, obviously it starts with the writing. Everybody will always say that with the script and the chat. You know, it's certainly interesting to play someone you, I haven't really played before, which is a woman in leadership. I mean, again, the roles are emerge as the society changes somewhat. And, you know, the Fortune 500 companies start having more more than 8% female CEOs. The opportunity arises, but it's 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 naturally got friction and comedy built in. There's tension automatically in not understanding the I love characters that have blind spots and that are that have hubris maybe unearned. Yes. Unearned hubris. And Catherine is smart. I mean, Justin was always maintained that she's smart theoretically, but she really has that blind confidence of truly not 
caring that she doesn't drive or know anything about cars. She's coming from her own little CEO model um, that you don't really have to know a product to sell it and to manage the people. And there are CEOs and uh, out there and MBAs that think that they think, well, that that's a, I don't have to come up, up through it. And it's funny because people have asked if this is based on Mary Barra, who's the person who Mary Barra, I think you say pronounce it. I don't know um, who runs GM. And she's like the absolute opposite of Catherine. She worked her way up through the GM ranks. She knows the product intimately. She came through the automotive industry and ascended that way to the top. And I always say like Catherine would be, so either disdainful of or threatened by or probably a combination of both you know so yeah so it was just a role that that offered those that tension inherently which is fun it's very verbal i'm a verbal performer he writes lightning fast quick comedy and it's ensemble driven so i love working with other people and not you know not having to be entirely responsible for the comedy so we can kind of um bounce off each other i I get i like that sense of energy that i get from working in a room with funny people Fascinating. I have many questions about it because it's such a fun show to watch. Well, no, I mean, at the end of season one, you know, we've seen shows with the the bad, toxic CEO boss before. But at the end yeah. of season one, this TV crew comes in to interview her. And uh, Catherine couldn't say what she liked about cars. And then she couldn't answer questions <laughs> about panicked. the defects. Revealed she didn't know how to drive her. But what I love was at the end of it, and this is one of the brilliance and sharpness of the series, at the end of season one, rather than despair, she drew upon her greatest superpower, being a corrupt, evil pharma executive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, is is she a character who has no shame? I mean, I think we keep trying to sort of find it. But yeah, they're partially to be I think to be a good CEO, you kind of can't stop and wonder a lot. You can't spend a lot of time questioning. And certainly a woman of her my generation would not want to show that Achilles heel of questioning one's one's motives or, or self. She may like in the darkest five minutes before she falls asleep, but I'm not sure it's something that she would ever, ever publicly acknowledge, you know? And so this, the character and the, the writing for her dance around that a lot, you know? And I don't think she's a villain so much as she's, well, she's kind of a terrible person, but she she lives in sort of a moral gray area. You know, it. what I, I love about our show is, again, coming out of this like N- NBC, you know, workplace comedy DNA. I do think it lives in that world very comfortably and, you know, the sort of single camera docu style, whatever, however you want to put it. But at the same time, it feels very 2023. It feels like we're dealing with we are, like you said, in a moment where first of all, we all know more about corporations than we ever have. No one used to know what the C-suite even was. I mean, barely. Um, now Elon Musk is, you know, his his catastrophic, you know, handling of Twitter is like front front page news. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows who he is as a person. He hosted Saturday Night Live last year. You know, I mean, the, the sort of rock star CEO persona is this whole new idea. So it's fun to play in that. But it's also fun to to really skewer and talk about the culture that that holds our corporations sort of to account. You know, we kind of want them to be politically engaged. We have really good storylines this year about, you know, employees pissed off about the stand that we did or didn't take on X, Y or Z HR issues. And it all comes down to. Yes, they are the idiots making the decisions and maybe they don't care quite as much, but they are beholden to the stock price, their board and whether or not they're going to vest their own stock options. They really care. It's it's all Americans being terrible at being good people. (laughs) That's the the beauty of the show. I mean, 
And, and again, there's so much malfeasance and double talk and jive and rank fuckery from the CEO community, especially totally. in tech. You'll continue to get new. St- I mean, just in the beginning of season two, you, you have one of my favorite lines I've ever heard a CEO say in a show. I'm going to go vape until I'm numb. <laughs> and that's while her underlings are trying to create Twitter and Instagram followers for her. It, yeah. It's so completely uh, is is. is satire of the culture as much as it is of corporations oh for sure but, but I'm, I'm curious of course you're not like this woman at all thank you you're, you're you're not like Catherine at all but how are you like her how are you like her because i know you don't hate this character and a hack actor would play this as a villain but you imbue her with so much humanity it's impossible to not care about her no matter how horrible she is and i'm wondering you know did you spend time in putting the character together to think about the areas where you you do find empathy for her where you do overlap with her insecurities i definitely overlap with her insecurities just as a woman in leadership that's easy that's very easy i'm number one on the call sheet on my show i have to set a good example i have to be a good person i have to communicate well i mean that's in my opinion. And I also, you know, one, I'm at an age where I just don't want to work in an unpleasant place. So I, I'm responsible for setting that tone and making it a comfortable and happy workplace for the people I work with. Right. Not that Catherine necessarily does that, but I'm pretty sure she has that know-how somewhere. Uh, we haven't even done a lot of stories around it, but we have talked about it, Justin and I, you know, that she, again, she's of a class of CEO and I've met more corporate people, not CEOs, but more CMOs that are women along life's way that, you know, there's just a lot of like female leadership, you know, speaking engagements and luncheons and empower. And it's all kind of lost. Like they came up through this, you know, super sharky lean in generation. And now it's all very loving and mentoring. (laughs) So the the rules kind of changed on these 55 year old women. So I sort of have empathy for Catherine there because I think she's trying to learn and to grow a little bit that way. You know, I think just oddly, like in her connection with the other women in the office, like this season, I think there's more of a sort of ally relationship between between her and the other women in the office, which I like as a connector. But I also have, I have admiration and this is, has nothing to do with the character so much as just people who are decisive. I have great admiration for people who d- make decisions quickly and don't question them and have that blind spot for not caring what people think. Not because I necessarily want to be an asshole, but because it just seems really relaxing to not worry that much. And I definitely worry all the time. So that part is just fun to play. And CEOs, they like they're ADD. They they are in the in the most positive way ADD. So that they are const all day long. They are so busy they don't have time to eat or go to the bathroom. And they just literally answer questions assertively and move on. They don't really seem to like sweat much. And it seems super relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Even if the answer then, is going to impact human lives. <laughs> right. And then no one gets fired. They get packaged out. They I mean, packaged my wife out. works in tech. I deal with these, these people all the time. I mean, but, but you know, and I admire people who are decisive as well. I think I admire, I, I don't know, maybe I do. But there's only 8% of like female CEOs yeah. in the whole country at this point. And I think a weaker comedy might have tried to uh, shy away from showing a female CEO in the negative light. I love the way this show confronts all the sexism and yet still 
makes her this uh, buffoon. I mean, it's it's she is a buffoon. I mean, care it, about her, but she's that's nice the, to the, hear. The I, mean, I, the end. I don't think you know, one thing I will say is ju- there's very little agenda around it for Justin. I think he just thought it was an interesting choice uh, creatively and had uh, good storylines. We don't spend a lot of time on the feminism of it or the sexism of oh. it. I mean, there's some characters, you know, Wesley in particular, who was the nepotistic heir to the throne, who really literally doesn't have a job and just sort of floats around being a rich guy um, and a namesake at the office played by John Barinholtz. But um, he's a little threatened. But even that he kind of admits that he wouldn't really know what to do and that Catherine does. And she's a doer and she's super capable. So that's my thought. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John saying This is Progress After Dark. You know, on the first episode of season two, Joe Biden calls the company a blight on our national honor. Uh, <laughs> What was yeah. your relationship to, uh, to Justin Spitzer's work before you signed on to this show? I mean, he he worked on The Office for, for years and years. Yeah. You, did you know his stuff? I knew Superstore a little bit. I thought it was really funny. Again, it's, I love ensemble shows. And, I, and what I love about the way Justin writes, very specifically, is it's very, again... On, because he's so good at writing for an ensemble and he's so good at writing the way people really talk, which is agendaed. So there may be a larger topic on the table that we're all trying to solve, but everyone is coming at it from their own selfish bullshit. And he really writes that well. He write, writes that incredibly well. So it feels sort of... um I keep saying symphonic, like there are days when all seven of us are sort of talking concurrently in a four page scene so fast. It's like Catherine Hepburn speed, you know, this kind of like rat-a-tat-tat 40s almost style. And it feels symphonic when it's working. You feel like you're in an orchestra. It's really fun. Um, so yeah, my re- I knew that from Superstore. Huh? Oh, I'm t- I was just, as you pointed out, it's hilarious because to some degree or other, they're all dicks. I mean, every character's Absolutely. motivation is always selfish, which so makes selfish. every interaction. And yes. you're right. I mean, the dialogue is music. It's it's so much fun to 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 listen to it. I, I'm I'm curious. Did he did did he let you improvise? Does he yeah, encourage he, improvisation? It's, it's, it's sort t- of insane, given how almost like West Wingy tight the writing is at times. He is really 
unexpectedly the most generous showrunner I've ever worked with about improvisation. So you, we, because it is tight dialogue, we have to get it right. So everybody pays attention to the getting it right first. And then we always have a fun run or two or three that allow for people to do whatever they want to do. And I'm always surprised by how many lines. I just saw a clip that we're, we're using on the Today Show this morning. And I, I'm like, oh, I remember I imp- improvised that. Like, if you have a better joke, because he spent 10 years in the writer's room of The Office, the best joke wins a lot. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes you it's know, so perfect. You, like, uh, uh, there are scenes that are so tightly written, especially two or three persons where they've said, do you want a fun run? And I've said, like, I literally can't top this. I don't want to. No, I'll just ruin the scene. You know, there's an episode in the first season where uh, I think it's the sixth episode where, where you're trying to make a commercial and it's yeah, just it's so good. It's symphonic. It's like a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, how how tight and musical the jokes are. And the yeah. dialogue is just you know, yeah. nimble and cutting at the same time. It's my absolute favorite episode of last season. It's it, I think, is exactly what the show does. Well, that's what I'm talking about them. Their their heart is sort of in the good in the right place. They're trying to do things. They're also motivated by not wanting people to bust them or make fun of them on Twitter. And they're at the mercy of some friggin, you know, tween on on TikTok who calls them whatever homophobic. And so then they recast their commercial and it's just a runaway train of good intentions and terrible outcome. You know, it's interesting. Anyone who hasn't seen that, you can see it on Peacock, the, the sixth episode of the first yeah. season. We're sort of in the golden age, I guess, of uh, we're in the golden age of serialized TV drama, but we're really in, also in the golden age of network sitcom ensembles. I mean, and that's nothing new for you, Ms. Gasteyer, from SNL and your work in theater. And um, I thought People of Earth was a terrific ensemble. Yeah. Where you were the leader of an alien abductee group. Just yeah. really funny. It was really dark and it, funny. Yeah. Those who haven't had the experience of uh, of doing a network half hour, what is the process like of of gelling with this cast and getting into it with this cast? Because the hours are steep and intense. Do you guys get rehearsal time? I mean, how does it how does it all gel together? Um, we really got lucky. Uh, what, what, this is a weird sentence. We got lucky because of the pandemic. We basically had a really slow evolution as a group. Um, the show was supposed to be filmed the Friday of the shutdown. We start, We were supposed to start filming the pilot. Didn't know if the pilot was going to go. Pilot went, was pushed. Lots of things didn't happen, as you may recall. Lots of shows were shelved and so forth in the business because nobody knew how to film. Film the pilot in October of 2020 and then did film the season once it was picked up in July almost a year later of 2021 so we had a lot of time to kind of just know one another strangely because the pilot was shot essentially in hazmat suits and it was like you know twice as long as your normal pilot you would ordinarily be you know crapping it out in eight days and whatever but I think we had like two weeks or something we had we just had more time together and we hadn't socialized with anyone so there was this and it was such a relief it was the first people I'd seen without a mask on their faces I mean we were masked in in those days until the very second that they called action you take your mask off put it in a bucket we even did our own hair and makeup touches because nobody knew what it was and all that. But um, pre, it was pre-vaccination. So it was just a, an immediate connection, I think, because of that in some respects. And then having the whole year and then in a whole, you know, whole separate. So we've known now one another for some time. And just the, that's what happens. The second season, you gel more. You know one another's moves. You're more comfortable. When you're learning lines, you can hear them in the voice of your co, you know, co-stars and colleagues. And so... And the beauty, of course, of any workplace is that there are lots of people around. We have lots of guest stars. 
We have Seth Meyers this year. We have Andy Richter. We have Eric Stone Street. We have all these fantastic guest stars that come in that are, you know, not quite as famous. But, oh, uh, uh, Ben. Yeah, Ben Feldman. Anyway, we have lots of people. But they're all coming in, and it's fun. Uh, so it gives it like a little, little energy. The Seth Meyers stuff is hilarious. And, the, uh, the you know, the Eric Stone Street stuff in season two is is so funny and, yeah. and so smart. But yeah. I I want to ask you about that. You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Myers. This last year marked, I think, twenty years since you officially left Saturday Night Live. And in that time, um, I've enjoyed everything you've done. I think this might be the best character I've seen you do. Just how much you get to breathe with this mm. character, how much you get to play with her. But I mean, I love your work on Lady Dynamite. Oh, thank I'm curious. You. In the time since you left the lifestyle of sketch comedy, how have you evolved comedically? You've done so much in that time. How have you grown creatively? Ooh, God, that's a question. I wish someone else would answer that one for me. I think I'm more relaxed. I mean, I I hope I am. It's 20 years Mm -hmm. because that's what just happens when you're seasoned. I think you can kind of like hang back a little bit, be a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. I'm a quiet performer in some respects. So and this is a this is a listening show. It's a show that uh, that's the beauty of a single camera. They cut to you when you're not speaking as well as when you're speaking. So it's a little more acting oriented, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how I've yeah, evolved. Yeah. I think, but I think, I think I'm, I'm just more in some ways more grateful just because I have more time in my head, not worrying about if I'm going to die, <laughs> which was, which is early sketch comedy life. You kind of always think it's the true comedian, like because so much of SNL is oriented around, as it, as it is in stand-up life too, bombing or not bombing. So I think I'm a little less concerned about that than I used to be, which means not, not, you know, which just means that I can enjoy, I can just enjoy what I'm doing more and meaning I can listen to other people yeah. and enjoy their work and be present and not be afraid that I'm going to die. <laughs> well, it really, and I'm glad to, I find I do much better work when I don't have a, a pressing fear of death. It just frees me up. <laughs> I mean, spiritual death. You You understand. Oh, that's that's the well, that's what I majored in yeah. in college: spiritual death and <laughs> minor in sloth. Yeah. Can I ask you about music? Because I I love you as a vocalist. I said in the beginning, your version of One Minute Julep just it, it's astonishing. It's just bonkers great. And I know that you know uh, you've done Three Penny Opera. I mean, yeah. with, with Alan Cumming and Cindy Lauper, you did you did Sondheim's Passion in Chicago. Yeah. And you've, of course, oh God, you so were deep. doing jazz standards for years. I understand you actually began as a voice major, right? Yeah, that's how it all happened. I got into college as a voice major. That was my move. Definitely my first thing I did well and loved and but not quite at the, you know back then it was like it's weird to go to college because you you either are like a music theater girl or you're an opera singer and I I wasn't even even though I've done a lot of music theater like I I, I didn't even really feel like 100% that if that makes sense so I didn't yeah. dance and I I I and I found the comedy people and I was like aha this is my thing but I, you know, if you can sing, you can sing and you love it. And it sort of fulfills a part of one's soul. It's cheesy, but it is just who, who no, you not, are, you know, it's not cheesy at all. I would imagine it's if you cheesy, dance, I mean. it feels similarly. I never danced, but I think if you have like a physical, just an um, aptitude, you know, that it would feel really good to be able to dance, you know, if that's what you do, you know, um, or same thing, no. watching an athlete just like do their thing. It's an incredible thing um, almost outside of you know very spiritual so I have always had it in my life and so the the jazz was sort of such a natural you know and I'm not talking like irritating jazz (laughs) 
no, I'm talking no, funny jazz, happy jazz. Yeah, so, um, can I push back on that for a minute? Can yeah. I push back on that? Because, you know, you, you do such great musical comedy. I love Sugar and Booze. I, I love everything you did with Dratch and A Clusterfunk Christmas. Uh-huh. I, I know you can do music and make it funny. But when you made the I'm Hip album, it it dazzled me because I knew it couldn't have been easy. This wasn't mm. like the Blues Brothers. This was someone who, who achieved fame on SNL, who was doing a legitimate vocal record. I yeah. think it's just you and Eddie Murphy are the only ones who've actually gone for it from <laughs> the SNL. Yeah, them. yeah, I guess and, so. And I, and, it's, it, I mean, it is weird. And people don't want to see you in that world. You know, it's, it's hard. Once people know you as one thing, they kind of don't want you to be the other. But Broadway was a great, happy, happy medium for me. Like it kind of allowed both to happen. And and then the album, that's why the jazz, like it was, it is, it's improvisational. It's very collaborative. It's ensemble driven. Again, all the things that I love and working with a band is really fulfilling. And then songwriting is really fulfilling. So it's just things I, I think as I get older, I'll probably just continue to do them more Almost, I, I get like the Steve Martin model with the banjo, you know, something that I love doing and that I'm good at. And then people might think it's weird, but I, I love it. So not, not at all. I mean, and you mentioned, you know, the spiritual element of it. I mean, is that how it feels to be able to go in front of an audience and not have to be funny and make them feel things even deeper? It's terrifying at first because, and it's always a challenge because you always have people in the audience that think you're going to be coming out with a hat rack and a bunch of wigs and are confused, you know? And so the sense of like disappointing an audience is so inherent. So I usually, that's why I do so much comedy in my shows. Cause I feel like there's going to be 30% of the audience that is like, huh? Uh, I still, I mean, I was, Alphaba on Broadway in Chicago. I have two records. I have been on national television singing. I still have people every week. I had no idea she could sing. I love that you do it. I think it enhances the comedy and screw these people who who don't know about it because yeah. you you have been doing it and and you're you know your your art you as an artist is greater than you as a celebrity. So I, right. I hope you keep doing it. I really am a fan of what you it's do. It's not going to go away. It's too much of a part of me. I mean, honestly, I I want to do American Auto for a while. I really love this job. I'd love to keep at it. I definitely would like to combine the singing. And all the comedy writing that I've been doing, like with Dratch on the Cluster Funk and elsewhere, I'd love to do that more proactively piled into one sort of package. And I would love I'd love to do a big fat Broadway role, obviously. Can I ask one last question? Of course. About, uh, a legend of Gastire. Is it true that you are blind in one eye and you <laughs> did play as a child? Or is that just myth I played the violin. That's how I started. I was very good at it and I really didn't enjoy it. But I did take up fiddling in the pandemic. Speaking of artistic ventures that you that your audience doesn't want to know about. Although there is nothing funnier than a bad violin. So I do use it in my act a lot. But yeah, so I I am legally blind in my right eye and I did wear an eye patch because in the 70s that's how they thought they would fix it. <laughs> and it didn't work. So I am legally blind in my right eye and I do play the violin. Wow. And you played Helen Keller too. Yeah. I mean, that's where it all began. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Gasteyer is starring right now in the hilarious new show, American Auto. You can see it on NBC and, of course, catch all the episodes on Peacock. Anna, I'm just such a fan of you as a person and as a creative artist, and I can't wait to see what you do next. It's always a pleasure. It's so it's nice so to see you. And thank you for a fantastic interview. You're such a you're so flattering and it's just delightful to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure. We'll be right back. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It would take me days to give a proper introduction to Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. How does one begin to catalog all the credits and all the all the uh, all the acclaim uh, from stage to TV to cinema, from Hamlet to Cabaret, from Titus, which I want to talk about, to X Men Two, to Spy Kids trilogy, to Doctor Who, to his many Emmy and Golden Globe nominations, for The Good Wife, to Schmigadoon, the gentleman who co-wrote and co-directed and co-starred in The Anniversary Party with Jennifer Jason Lee, author, recording artist. I love that Cafe Carlisle album. I want to talk about that. Uh, uh, and now with the Traders, reality TV icon, Alan Cumming. My God, welcome. Thanks. Who'd have thunk? I, I, indeed. <laughs> Not I, I me. Mean, what, what does it take to get you... First off, anyone looking at your CV knows that you are devoted to doing as much different kinds of work as possible. But what does it take to get you to be the star of a reality TV competition? Because it's... I can't call you the host. You are the star of this. Oh, bless you. I'm, well, uh, I mean, I'm sort of like a, what's the bird that sees sparkly things and goes to it? A magpie. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sort of like that. Like I, I get, I mean, my agents and manage, you know, my manager, my agents, I think I've by now realized that the things they think I might really want to do I don't and, and the things that they're like oh you don't want to do this I'm like what hmm. and yes. um, but this came to me not in like this This came to me they said we think you'd like this uh, What it was partly because I was intrigued about why they would ask me to do something like this because it was so I've never done anything I mean I've hosted you know documentaries and award shows and blah 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 I've done that you've played yourself on, on reality shows before but nothing like this yes not not like yeah I mean I guess I did yeah, yeah. but this is sort of I'm playing a character like a sort of a Bond villain very much so in a <laughs> in a competition thing in a castle in Scotland and I watched the Dutch it was a, based on a Dutch one version I watched that and I was completely obsessed by it and I thought wow I, I'm not you know this is not my normal thing to watch and I'm just all over it like a rash and then I spoke to them and they I realised they wanted me to do not just to be I'm Alan Cumming hello welcome to this thing exactly to, to make it into a character I, saw, so I said to them in the first meeting the, the Studio Lambert people who are the people I said oh I see you want me to sort of be like a Bond villain and maybe I should bring my dog with me and sort of be patting her as I do the <laughs> all things and they went yes that's it so that was what excited me was this to sort of in a way subvert a form you know, oh yes, and, and that's what I like doing. I think, I think, in general, in my life. I mean, it's equal part menace and flirtation. You are clearly yes. uh, being the given the gift of monologuing with this totally appearance. I, I, you know, I quote Shakespeare, Plato, all these things. I, I mean, I've got these greats, and there's really, I got to hire a writer that was really 
hilarious and clever and I got them to agree to I mean a lot of the things that I did didn't make it but there's some hilarious ones of me you know in a cape in the dark mm -hmm. walking towards the camera talking about the traitors slithering to their lair and all this stuff just stuff that I don't think you normally see in that sort of type of show and, and what's been great is that people have so responded to it in such a positive way that I that's that excites me when you kind of stir it up a bit and people actually get on board well my question was how much of the monologuing did you get to write yourself you brought in your own writer but do you improvise on the set as well I mean it's, uh, it's yeah, rare well, to see anyone enjoying being on reality TV this month <laughs> well it was I mean yes the character and the sort of the way I was this sort of stern sort of puppet master I really liked <laughs> but then also I had a thing in my ear uh, because they were all always talking of to me course. about stuff and, and, and I would sort of have I, sometimes they would tell me things and I would have to improvise around that and sometimes you're just talking to people because it's sort of they are real people so it was a, it was a, a variety of things but the, you know what was great was that at the start of it I sort of said I'd like to do it like this and I'd like it to be you know and when I went to talk to the stylist this lovely man called Sam Spector I said I'm, I'm, I wanted to be like a dandy Scottish laird and you know who's this sort of eccentric sort of I, I thought I talked about it like when I go to into a to do a movie or a TV like I talked to the costume designer about you know why I think of the character and they bring so it was I, I, I treated it like that and everyone yes. I talked to kind of let me <laughs> go nuts <laughs> well I mean the details of the reality show we'll get to but the clothing I mean when the New York Times is writing an entire piece <laughs> just on your wardrobe isn't that hilarious I've never seen a reality show promoted in exactly that way but no. it is your actual clothing this is why people are yes. tuning in to this show to see what you'll wear next yes exactly uh, and the contestants were as well like every morning when I'd come down there's a sort of a breakfast where they all you know, at the start of each episode when one person's dead and not, not there anymore and they fling their portrait onto the floor um, so they would see me for the first time then when I came in and they were they were going ooh what's he wearing today and what's his hair going to be like but yes it's been this big sort of um, and a lot you know the hilarious thing is most of the clothes a large percentage of clothes were mine from my wardrobe they came mm. and sort of raided it but it's more about like I get given a lot of clothes and I'm like tartans. I had a lot of those things were mine, but it's the combination of them and the sort of sashes oh, yes. and capes and hats and berets and glasses and you know weird little things that Sam did that it's kind of transcended the normal <laughs> sort of thing. And I, I love that. I love that he's getting really such positive attention. I the think blue flannel so kilt. The blue flannel. I mean, it's like a Star Wars prequel character. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the the actual show, um, you know, it's it's a fun reality show. People, half of them are reality show veterans, half of them are folks yeah. you've never heard of. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you weren't too familiar with the reality show veterans, nor was I. I knew They're very three nice of people. them. I knew well. I knew two reality people. I knew Brandy from um, Real Housewives of uh, Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. and I'd seen a couple of episodes of Below Deck with Kate. Very nice. Uh, and I was in a hotel because I don't actually. I watch. I actually, when I go to hotels or I'm on location, that's I kind of maybe will flick over to those things sort of as a, not a guilty pleasure because I don't think pleasure, you should have any guilt about pleasure, but that's when I would watch those things. So I've seen them occasionally, yes. but not in a concentrated way. So sometimes it's, Anyway, and then the other person I knew was Ryan Lochte. He's a swimmer. Of course. Of so course. that was it. Famous for many things. Yeah. Um, I will say, I, I sit there wondering how much time you spend practicing different ways to say the word murder after watching this. <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of, oops. Uh, You're having fun with vowel sounds I, um, on this show. Yes. And um, I've... <laughs> 
I mean, saying things about me being like Moira Rose from Shit's Creek on, as as the host on the trailer. I take a such great honour. And also, people, there's been an outcry in Scotland about my, my what's happened to Alan's accent? Because I'm kind of camping it up, and it's, of not, course. it's not how I talk right now. So it's been. Not a lot of Scottish Bond villains. No, you've got to no. play something else. So, and, um, but there's a, what I was doing as well is that there's a thing, there was a, there used to be a cop show in Scotland called Taggart, and he was a sort of, you know, grisly, rough, working class Glasgow cop who, and there's a famous thing where they'd go, they would go, Inspector Taggart, there's been a murder. That, so that I say that I say I say in the you show the, the more there's more murder there's going to be a murder, Beautiful. and so I I was kind of paying homage to Taggart when I did that, and, <laughs> and there's various things. And my favourite thing now is when because the thing was that each in each episode there's a thing called the round table where they all sit around and they banish someone, you know. Yes. So someone gets murdered by the traitors and someone gets banished <laughs> by the whole group each show. So it's pretty quickly. There's, I hope a, you're taking notes at home on all of this. Oh, it's, it's 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 not that difficult to follow. But and then they do these tasks in the middle. That's basically it. But it, just, it goes quite good. People get culled quite quickly. It starts at 20, but pretty quickly it's two an episode. It goes down and it gets more brutal because because the the good thing is if a if a traitor if, if the faithful who are the, the not baddies if they win if they get to the end they split the money and it's a quarter of a million dollars that's right but if a traitor wins they get to keep it all mm. so it's anyway so so there's a bit when they're at the round table my favorite that was my favorite time because that's when they all turn on each other <laughs> and it get and they're just all day spiraling about who's a traitor and what traits they've shown or what suspicions they have and like you know. I wanted to say the reason they're the traitor is because I tapped them on the shoulder. There's no other reason. And like to say all these things about these theories about like, they could never be a traitor because blah, blah, blah. Of course. They could because if I tapped them on the shoulder. Do producers pick the traitor or do you pick the traitor? No, they produ- I mean, they, they told me which ones to pat right uh, on. on the shoulder. But at, the, at this round table, when everyone's spiraling and everyone's going nuts and being mean to each other and, and crying, at the end of it, when they, they all vote, and that's very exciting. And then when, when they've finished voting, I say to the, you know, blah, blah, you have received the most votes and are banished from the game. Please come forward to the circle of truth. <laughs> and there's, a, there's a little light on the floor and they've got to stand in the circle. And so now my friends, when, when anyone says, because it's sort of been happening for the last few weeks you know people are you know not slowly actually they're thinking holy shit I'm watching the traitors and I'm obsessed and I just I just leave a voice memo from them saying please come forward to the circle of truth and everyone freaks out it's great to have a catchphrase well I mean I saw some of um, Miriam and Alan lost in Scotland oh you did but uh-huh. a very different kind of reality TV show performance in terms yes. of playing yourself for a single camera oh, show yeah I think of that as completely different that's, actually that's like a documentary that's being you yeah yes. just, it's, it's me and Miriam and we've got little secret cameras in the but it's like we just drive around Scotland in a van yeah, and then we great. meet people and we go to things and we do you know, interact with people and it's it's all very structured like we know where we're going but the but it's basically just me and Miriam Miriam Margulies the actress yeah. she's 82 nearly and she's this you know she's a short little fat old lady who is like, I, I always say she's like a little girl showing her knickers that's what she's like <laughs> she's always saying something rude and always being funny and we get on like a house on fire and I think it's about our relationship and I'm this kind of you know I'm me and I'm sort of like her squire and also saying now Miriam no no and then also going you know encouraging her to be naughty 
So I that's a for me that's a completely different thing. That is me being me, of course. And and you know there's it's sort of I think the best bits of that show are the bits when it's just the you know and the, yeah, the, the, dash stuck to the dash cam stuck to the car, because where you're you're unselfconscious, you're more unselfconscious than when you've got a big you know several cameras lolling along behind sure. you when you're walking along the street. So but, actually, it's, but it's still a it's still a performance. Oh, it's totally a performance. Yes, I mean like every, like right now is a performance. Of Do you course. Know what I mean? Oh, We're all I've never been this fake in my life. Yes. <laughs> I'm nailing it, but yeah. <laughs> nailing it. But it's also, uh, what's funny is that my dog, so when I said that, when I talked to the traitors and I said, oh, I should bring my dog, you know, and pat her like mm. a James Bond villain. She was going to come at the last minute, her papers, the jabs, you know, her things, yeah, yeah. because of COVID, that one had got a little out of date. And, and anyway, with the, the authorities in Scotland, they wouldn't let me take her. It's and tricky it, to bring a dog into the UK on it a good is, day. Yes. It is, but it was, but you've got to always keep your thing. Anyway, we couldn't take her at the last mm. minute. But then for Miriam and Alan, I did take her. Ah. So she was she was with us in the van and then she came to California as well. And do you stay in the castle or do you no. leave at the, in the evening? Oops, I'm not supposed yeah. to say that. But no, I don't. <laughs> I actually had a lovely room in the castle. The big, I did sleep there uh, quite a lot because I'd napped all the time and I had mm. a huge bath. I'd bath sometimes. But I had a, like a room that was, uh, no, but I didn't right. actually sleep overnight there. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back. It's a great joy to watch you have fun on this kind of show, which is why it's a bit awkward that I've had an even greater joy in the last week. By something else you've done, and as your right. fans know, it was in 2009 that you were awarded uh, to be oh. an officer of the Order of the British Empire. Yes. Um, an honor that you have chosen to give back, as John Lennon did, as many other artists have done over the years, mm. for your birthday. Now, this is not the hugest news in the American press, but it is uh, enormous overseas, and I cannot contain my admiration for the gesture and for the way you did it, that you, without ever... Um, disparaging the honor itself mm. while thanking them for giving you the honor in the first place. Yeah. But to point out that, you know, in the wake of the Queen's death, and in fairness to the Queen, I would call her a, an, an anti-colonialist. I, th I think she did more to dismantle colonialism than any other monarch, but the history is there, and yeah. it is the order of the British Empire. Mm. And I, I just want to ask you about what was the process for you, and how long did you cultivate this uh, idea to return it? Over a period of years, you know. I, John I, Lennon said he waited years looking for the right occasion to do it. Right. 
I was so like when I got it, actually I wrote I wrote about this in my last book. Like when I got it, when I was offered it, I was conflicted about it, but I, but the citation was for my work and for as an actor, but for my work in activism for LG, the LGBTQ rights in America from the Crown. That's from incredibly the Crown progressive. And from the British government. So in a, and at the time we didn't have uh, marriage equality, and we, and you know it was still don't ask, don't tell, and all those things. So it, it shone a light on the inaction of the of the American government, and I thought that was great. And that's and I thought it was. I thought if some if people see that what they think of as the Queen. It's not I don't think the Queen and Prince Philip were up in their beds, you know, choosing who was going to get it that year, but <laughs> it's the British government who choose sure. it and sanctioned by them. They if they are shining a light on that, then that's a really big deal. And so I uh, was very grateful to get it and for that light to and for that good Truly. to be done. So that was great. But then, you know, as time passed, that um, and th- and the laws changed and the world changed and in America and uh, the things I was fighting for were thankfully came to pass. I just felt more. It was a slow thing, but I just felt more and more uncomfortable. It's mostly the idea of empire because that is actually about um, conquering people and exactly. plundering them and uh, sometimes killing them. And so, I, and I think with when the Queen died, it was the end of an era, obviously, and it was a sort of a not just for me, but in general, there was a reassessment of how will the monarchy work now? How does how do we relate to the idea of empire and all that? And so it's just I just sort of thought now is the time to do it. I think I, I also learned more that because of those conversations, and it was you know I the reason I did it on my birthday was I did it several months before I gave it back months ago, but I didn't do anything. I didn't. I sort of told people but I was starting to talk about it in public and I thought gosh it would be so awful if it gets out and into the British press especially and I haven't commented on it and I am not able to control the narrative and to Indeed. write something like I did on my Instagram post conveying the complexity of it and about how I was truly and am truly grateful for having got it and just it was a personal thing it became untenable so I did that to sort of be a step ahead of the negative reaction that I thought might happen and which it did and but actually it's been a I have to say a, and thank you very much for your reaction but, it, but it's been part of a huge positive reaction to to it yes. to me doing it and also what I think has been great is that it is engendering uh, a lot of conversation and chat about the notion of empire and about what maybe these awards should be called something else and you know maybe and just it's I think it's it's really good to ask people to look at things that we thought we understood and maybe we didn't. Well, you pissed off Piers Morgan, and that's what matters. And it was a it was a moral act to receive it. It was a moral act to return it. I love the way you've done it here Thank in this you. country where we struggle so much with the history of the Confederacy, knowing that, okay, none of us are free of the sins of our forefathers, mm. but we don't necessarily have to celebrate or glorify the really shitty parts. Right. If If it had said order of the United Kingdom, Order of mm. the Commonwealth. Mm. I mean, Would that I think. Have been? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? It's a bit hypothetical. Commonwealth. I feel, and I thought that was, was really good actually about the the documentary series that Harry and Meghan made. Is that they placed race in a historical context in terms of the British Empire because the Commonwealth is basically the leftovers of the Empire. Yes, of course. So I don't know if Commonwealth would be. Would, yeah. have, would have swayed me, but yes, the British of the, even the British government or the United or Britain or something, you know. I, I, I mean, yes, and I think that's actually people. Quite a lot of people are talking about that now. That maybe that is a thing to do mm-hmm. to, because it is, you know, you are associated with something very toxic and very 
comparable to the sort of Confederate flag and, the, the, and all of that well, stuff. And also, just thank you, because it's so rare that we see anyone of your stature talk about what was done to the indigenous people of this land and others. Yes. And just the fact that, you know, there's young people who wouldn't have thought about the impact on indigenous societies by yeah. the British Empire yeah. who are now going to be aware of it. Yes, I'm, so it's a positive thing for people to talk, and I'm really glad. And I feel relieved, you know, to have done it. I feel it's a sort of it was something I was carrying and I was that was in itself toxic to be carrying something that you don't feel good about. Can I do a quick speed round of random questions about random credits? Oh, yes, I love that, yes. Um, m memories of Stanley Kubrick from uh, Eyes Wide Shut, from your wonderful, wonderful scene. Loved him. He was hilarious and funny, and everyone thought, you know, sort of painted him as this big scary ogre, and we got in like a house on fire. Uh, yeah. I love the albums. Alan Cummings sings sappy songs at Cafe Carlisle. Thank uh, you. You don't really think they're sappy. Your cover of Billy Joel's Vietnam Opus uh, um, is song. actually quite lovely and moving and sort of, I, I, I want Billy Joel to hear it. Oh, <laughs> that'd be nice. I actually think I really, I love singing Billy Joel songs because he's like, he's like a poet. Yeah. Master. And they're really easy to, or not easy to, but they're really songs you have to act. And I, I, I love, I think he's... I, I want to sing. Actually, I, in my new show, uh, I, it's called Alan, Alan Cummings Not Acting His Age. I, I have I sing a song of his called "Where's the Orchestra." It's beautiful. Oh, last last song off of the Nylon Curtain record. And, oh yes, uh, just a great pop craftsman. I was yeah. raised on Long Island. He was oh, our right, Springsteen, course, so we yes. had to you know uh, bow down to the grave. Um, I, I do want to ask you about my favorite role of yours ever in what I think is the most underrated Shakespearean adaptation, Julie Taymor's Titus. I uh, think it's. Hopkins's best performance. I think it's Jessica Lange's best performance. Yeah. And it's a film that was really misunderstood at the time. And I'm yeah. curious how your relationship with that very grisly adaptation of Shakespeare's most unfilmable play, how you feel about it now, two decades on. Oh, gosh. I love that film. I really I love, love it. it. I think it's a great film. I hated making it. It was a nightmare from hell. It really was awful for a variety of reasons. You know, just uh, uh, sort of weird stuff going on. So what I didn't I didn't enjoy it. I, I mean I was you know I mean I went to work and I did my job and I but actually I don't look back on it with fondness. And, yes. But I do really. I mean there's several films in my canon that I have the same thing. Really great films I'm proud to be in that I hated making. That's one of them. But I do think it's so great. And I think Julie is a a great artist. I did another one with her of uh, the Tempest, Tempest as yes. well with Helen Mirren mm -hmm. playing Prospera, and uh, that was a more pleasant experience but it, it wasn't you know didn't turn out quite as well i mean i think it's interesting titus was sort of uh, it, people didn't know what to make of it it was too intense and too visually sort of weird and stunning and and i you know i love it's actually one of these a lot of the films i've been in i love and you know people don't really uh, generally and, I, uh, I just moved to la i saw it twice in the cinema oh you it did was amazing yes Gosh. was it empty um, the first time, yes. yes. The first time it was just me. Figures. Uh, one last question: do, do men do men walk up to you and 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 talk about foreskin? Um, yes, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine after writing "May the foreskin be with you" that it's sort of an I invitation didn't write to that. I oh, didn't. Write you didn't that. write that. But, no, that's actually. But after that whole experience. Yeah, no, that's actually something that's you know one of the problems with uh, the social media world and with uh, Wikipedia and those things that uh, that was I was going to do the foreword for a book called. That was the story. Yeah, that you were supposed to do this. Yeah, and the reason, the reason, and it, and it ended up not happening. But sometimes now people think I did. So I would like to say I didn't write the book. It isn't a book. Thank you. But I came to America, and you know, I never thought about my penis. Well, I thought about my penis all the time, of course, but never thought about how it was different to other people's penises because mm. where I came from and the ones that I saw were pretty much like mine. I came to America, and <laughs> people were shocked 
that I had a foreskin. They didn't never seen one. They didn't know what to do with it. There was sometimes <laughs> like, ouch, that's attached. Um, and and then I and I realized that what was weird was I felt I was the freak because yes. I, and I was actually the the, intact, the natural person. The natural person. So I was I sort of thought about that and I. And I began to understand why people did it and the reasons and the lies they're told and the fact it's a money thing because it's an industry to do it. And then I realized, found out about a lot of the ways it goes wrong and the horrible mm-hmm. things that can happen. And also just in general, the massive loss of sensation. on the motor- That's why you have a foreskin. And the American the most- Medical Association for two decades now has said don't do it. Right. But yeah. people are still, but you know, so... Things are changing. It's getting better. But I have a son who doesn't look like me. Oh, that's good. Yes. Because they would say things like, oh, you know, you want to look like your dad. And I was like, "Do you? is this an American thing? You go home at Thanksgiving and you all get your cocks out and see if they look the same. That doesn't really... I don't think that's true. I want a cock just like the cock that hung on dear old dad. I remember that song from the barbershop quartets. <laughs> and then also they would say, the, he, he'll, actually Jessica Lang told me this, that she, uh, her, she said, they said to her when her, with her son, they said, oh, you should get it done because otherwise he'll be teased in the locker rooms. Yes, I was told the same thing. I find that so shocking. Anyway, so I, I spoke out about it quite a lot. And then I joined the board of our, the, you know, became a sort of trustee of this thing. In Britain, an organisation in America, it's called Intact America, and the, and in Britain, it's called something else. But when they first came to, uh, to when I met them, it was these sort of very fuddy-duddy medical types and Thai doctors, and they were terribly glad you're going to come on board and shine some light on this very important uh, <laughs> area. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. And then they sent me a letter sort of formalising that I was going to be the, uh, you know, the on the board or something. And at the bottom of it, they said, and P.S., may the foreskin be with you. That's and I just thought that was from. hilarious. And so I always sort of used that. So that was where that I've comes from. I've heard you from. talk about it before. So, okay. Yes. I give, I give them credit for and pointing I, the And I, I just, I think it's so, it was absolutely unexpected. As I say, they were kind of these sort of little funny scientists and it didn't <laughs> seem like, but that sort of uh, stuck with me. So, yeah, I wish I had, I wish that book had happened, but it didn't. But I, but I wrote my a foreword for it which is basically the story of and my, the funniest thing about foreskin I'll tell so you one more thing you wrote the foreword for the foreskin That's book right. and they, they cut it off <laughs> they, okay. they cut it but I when I was talking about this for the first time it's when I was first in, living in New York I was doing cabaret on Broadway and I had a the lady who did my makeup so I had all body makeup and sort of you know bruises and track marks and all this stuff and she was doing and she goes, and I was talking about it because you know I've never seen a, a foreskin before I was like what and so I said, like, I'm going to show you mine. I'm going to show you it. And so, so just like, I said, go out the door. I'll pull my dance belt down and then come in. And then, you know, you'll see it. And she went, okay. So she went out. She came in and I expect her to, 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 she was a bit nervous. I thought she'd take one look at it and kind of go, okay. But she looked at it and she went, oh, oh. And she sort of came forward looking at me like a sort of a scientific experiment. I go, oh, re- oh, oh, like this. I said, what? And she said, it's not like I thought how I thought it would be at all. I said, what What did you expect? She goes, I thought it would be more like a flip-top bin. <laughs> and I was like, what? You thought you'd stand on my foot and the foreskin would come back? It was so hilarious. And I felt really self-conscious again. Mm. I thought, what's this? So anyway, that's why I'm slightly obsessed with Wow, I've got to foreskin. try that with my co-workers sometime here. <laughs> um, so what is next for you, sir? Next thing I'm going to do. Yes. Yes, uh, I'm going to do a film. And I'm going, at the end of this month, I'm going to Canada to do a, a really lovely film by this first-time director called Mike Clowater. It's called Drive Back Home. It's about a, two, like a, there's a, in the 60s, there was this thing that if you got caught too many times, if you're gay having sex in the park or whatever, you would go to prison unless someone from your family would come and take you out of jail. Yes. So this brother who lives in New Brunswick in the sort of sticks and is sort of a, 
and I, and I am the one who's gone to the big city and kind of got away from it all and had, you know, there's a very traumatic past. He has to come and get me, take me out of prison, and then we do this road trip back to our home in the middle of nowhere. And so that's what this film's about. It's, it's such a great script. I'm slightly worried I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> it is such a... <laughs> oh, did I say you're allowed to say fuck? No, that's that's oh, allowed and encouraged here, okay, actually. Right. Um, it is such a pleasure to have you on. I've always wanted to have you on this program. Thank you. It's and very I nice. want to remind everyone that you can see Ellen coming. I won't say eat the scenery. I will say just make the scenery <laughs> look even better. Uh, it is so... I, I've never had more fun watching someone run a reality show than The Traders on NBC's Peacock. It is such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. It's really lovely. 